Welcome to the Swine Health Black Belt Podcast, the latest swine health research digested for you. Swine Health Black Belt Podcast is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like SCA Ventilation and Management Solutions, made for farmers by farmers since 1966. Beringer Ingelheim, through innovative solutions, cutting-edge research, and world-class experts, Beringer Ingelheim helps producers operate with complete confidence. Learn more at swineresource.com. My name is Dr. Clayton Johnson, your host for today's episode, and it is my pleasure to bring into our podcast studios Dr. Mariana Kikuchi. Dr. Kikuchi, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Please, uh, I know we have we have done some nice introductions here, but share with the audience a little bit about yourself. What is your education and what are your experiences within the pig industry? Yeah, so I graduated in veterinary medicine back in Brazil. Um, I wasn't working with swine at all. I was working mostly with research. And then I went to do both my master's and PhD in public health epidemiology, where I was working with Zika investigations back in Brazil. Um, then I decided to go back a little bit to my veterinary roots. So I came to the U.S. and joined the MSHIMP group, and where I started working a little bit more with swine and furs. Um, so I'm sort of new to the swine industry, about four years new, um, but I'm learning a lot as I go. I think all of us uh, wish we could go back to the days of Zika, where when we would hear about, you know, pandemic potential, whether it was Zika or SARS or West Nile, right? We would hear about it and a lot of concern, but never uh, kind of the impact that we saw COVID. Um, so probably very interesting for you to watch the last uh, several years here as the, as the globe has dealt with a very serious pandemic. And also very interesting for you to come into the swine industry, where we don't necessarily have a new pandemic, but we have this kind of constant epidemic battle with PERS virus. Talk to us a little bit, Mariana, about your research with the new novel Lineage 1C PERS variant. Yeah, so that issue actually was brought up to us in AMSHIMP in late 2020. So the producers and veterinarians started reporting to us that they were seeing this um, PERS variant that was affecting mainly their grow, uh, finishing, growing finishing uh, herds. And uh, they were telling us that they have very high mortality in those herds. Um, and particularly to me as an epidemiologist, what caught my attention was that they said that the virus that they had was not similar to anything that they have seen before. Um, but they know that their neighbors had a very similar, if not identical, virus. And I've been working with MSHIMP since 2018. And I've been comparing sequencing sequences for all of the producers, and it's very rare that we get a 98% identity. Uh, so we were getting 100% similarities um, for those viruses from different production systems. So that to me was very atypical, right? Um, so we reached out to all of the producers and started uh, doing an investigation. Uh, with their help, we were able to compare uh, these sequences that they were reporting as problematic to our MSHIMP historical data set, which comprises over 30,000 per sequences from those monitoring, uh, like routine monitoring that the systems have. Um, and then we found at the time, I think we found like 70 cases in December 2020, uh, which was much more than we were expecting uh, in the beginning. Uh, and what was interesting is that most of these sequences or these viruses that were being identified, again, they were very similar to each other. 
But when we compare to everything else that we had on the data set, even in the public data set like GeneBank or even in the VDL data set, there weren't any sequences that were similar to that particular cluster of um, sequence of, of viruses. So that to us um, represented that this variant is probably a new variant that was emerging within that uh, viral lineage or, or purse lineage. Um, just because again, it's it was so different from everything else that was um, already uh, going on in the US. Um, so from that, we were actually able to investigate further. So we saw some temporality. Uh, we saw that uh, we had a spike of cases around November to December 2020, then cases went down. Then we had a second spike of cases in the spring of 2021, which was actually much higher than the, the, the first one. Um, and we keep monitoring this new variant. And nowadays we still have I would say maybe around 10, 15 sites uh, generating sequences from that variant on a weekly basis. Um, we were also able to find out where those cases were occurring. So we knew that uh, I would say maybe two thirds of the cases were occurring in the growing pig sites. Uh, one third was occurring in, in the south farms. Again, both in the growth finishing sites and in the south farms, they were reporting high mortality, high preening mortality, high um, finishing mortality. So very high impact of those cases. Um, those cases were occurring mainly in the Iowa and Minnesota region. Uh, so even right now, over 90% of all of the cases are still in Iowa and Minnesota. Um, we were able to find out that most of the cases were occurring within about a 70 miles radius. So they were very concentrated in this South Minnesota, Northern Iowa uh, area. Um, we were also able to talk to all of the producers and we managed to develop a case control study. So we investigated um, cases that, uh, or herds that were affected with this new variant compared to herds that were affected with other first viruses um, to try to find out if, if, if there were any particular risk factors that could be associated with the, the transmission of this variant. And we didn't find anything that was particular to this variant, which means that this variant is being transmitted the same as any other first variant, which is in a sense reconforting, right? Mm -hmm. um, but we did find that uh, having a market vehicle that was exclusive to the system was uh, yielded a little bit of a higher risk of having that variant. And that is very, that makes sense to what we were hearing from these producers and from the systems that once this variant entered the system, it was very easy for the variant to dissipate within the system. Um, other than that, because this investigation was done in the early um, stages of this outbreak, uh, we used just um, the first uh, wave of transmission, but we were able to do a case control investigation regarding uh, production impact as well. Uh, and considering only the first, first four weeks of the outbreak, we found a higher um, nursery mortality and finishing mortality in cases of this variant compared to cases of other other first variants. So again, highlighting uh, the potential higher um, higher production impact of this variant, right? Um, 
So that's pretty much it. We keep uh, monitoring this variant, um, but it was a very interesting learning experience that I think uh, it was unfortunate, but I think the only reason why we were able to make such a deep uh, epidemiological investigation was also the fact that this variant is so different than one than one we have seen in the past, which allows us to really define, really make a good case definition. Salmonella presents significant challenges to pig health and performance and poses food safety risks to humans. As the first and only vaccine offering live attenuated strains of both Salmonella cholerasias and Typhimurium, Enterosol Salmonella TC from Beringer Ingelheim protects pigs against both stereotypes with a single oral dose. Talk to your Beringer Ingelheim representative to learn more. Yeah, so often what we find scientifically uh, interesting is is never good news for the industry, um, and certainly the case with this specific PERS variant. But Mariana, as I as I looked at your research, it's striking to me that in 2020 we saw outbreaks from October into December. Right, you can see the epidemiological curve um, really behave not terribly indifferent from what you would expect. We have an outbreak; it kind of goes up in a season where we expect a lot of PERS. October to December, no surprise we get some PERS there, but then it went quiet and we didn't see it a lot. And then in April, we saw it take off again. Now we see virus move in the spring, but any thoughts from the MSHIP participants or other people you've interviewed as to why we saw that kind of dead space in the middle with not a lot of transmission in a time of year where it's easy to move PERS around? Yeah, that's a very, really good question. I think part of the reason could be um, because most of the cases were occurring in the grow finishing sites, so it could uh, have something to do with the turns, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but also uh, after that initial peak in cases, I think we started having a little bit more cases in the south farms as well. So I think okay. the transmission kind of went back to the south farms yeah. and then it could perhaps go on have gone a little bit undetected in the south farms until we yeah. started really seeing the, the abortions again. Well, and that's uh, that's consistent with all the SDRS um, reports that demonstrate that our finishing viruses we see this year often become our sow farm viruses next year. So that certainly makes sense. Um, you know, we see uh, a new dominant PERS strain in our industry roughly every three years, whether it's 174 or, or now 144. We have horrible ways of naming it, but we see a new dominant virus blow through the industry. Um, do you see any reason at this point to think that uh, we have a different forecast than we've had in the past, right? Are we going to see this virus be dominant in the industry for the next two to three years? Then we are on to something new again? Or do you think there is a staying power with this virus that's unique and, and epidemiologically it will remain relevant longer than the ancestor viruses that have been the dominant virus for a three-year period? So again, this case is a very particular case in the sense that because it's so different from what we had in the past, we are able to track it a little bit better. I don't think that was the case for previous dominant strains, right? Mm -hmm. We only know that they are dominant once they are already dominant, right? Sure. And here we were able to kind of see that increase in cases occurring. Um, the interesting thing here for this variant is that Again, if we look at the cases nowadays, it's still heavily concentrated in Minnesota and Iowa. So we don't see that spreading too much outside this region. Why? Um, I, I can't really explain why, but I think you know one possibility is that 
perhaps that is the case for many of the dominant variants, but we are just not able to see that. And maybe in a couple of years, we're going to see uh, this new variant actually dominating uh, the swine industry. Um, so again, it, it's a learning opportunity here for us, right? Um, I, I can't say for sure, but right now it is still very concentrated in, in the Midwest region. Yeah. You know, from my perspective, Mariana, the next year will be very telling um, because the reality is this virus has not really jumped across the Mississippi River and moved to the eastern Corn Belt. Um, it didn't start in North Carolina. So, you know, if it's the new viruses that start in North Carolina, they're coming to the Midwest because the pigs come to the Midwest. The viruses that start in Minnesota and Iowa they don't have to move into the Eastern Corn Belt because the pigs never really cross the Mississippi River. So I think if our biosecurity, you know, where I live in Illinois and in Indiana, if, if that biosecurity can prevent the virus from coming into our systems, I think we have a chance of minimizing the overall impact on the industry. But if we get this into sow farms in, in Illinois and in Indiana, um, you know, Michigan, Ohio, we're, I think, going to see similar levels of outbreaks in future years to what Minnesota Minnesota and Iowa have seen so far with this virus. Yeah, I agree. And I would say also that the longer it takes, perhaps the milder the cases will be um, because the virus is adapting more and more to the pigs. Uh, so perhaps, you know, the production impact will be lower every time, you know, the more pass, the more time passes, right, for that to occur. Absolutely. And, and we're building herd immunity at some level as well, right? Kind of like our COVID discussion, right? Is is COVID becoming less virulent with time? Are we building herd immunity and that's resulting in, in less uh, expression of disease? The reality is probably some of both. And from a producer standpoint, either way, we'll take it, right? Anything that yeah. decreases the mortality impact, uh, the negative welfare impact on the pigs, we're all for. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you very much, Mariana, for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's been my pleasure to, to chat with you about this. Uh, and to the audience, thank you very much for, for participating. If you have not visited our website, please go check out uh, swinehealthblackbelt.com. Make sure to subscribe and, and keep up with us as we post weekly podcasts on the latest and greatest swine health research, which we digest and trying to put into a very um, uh, easily digestible format for you, the audience. For Dr. Mariani Kikuchi, my name is Clayton Johnson, and this has been the Swine Health Black Belt Podcast. Thanks, and have a great rest of your week. Hey, everyone. We're always searching for the latest and greatest research to share each week. If you have a swine health-related research trial and would like to come on the show to talk about it with me and share it with our audience, feel free to send an email to healthblackbelt at swineit.com, and we would love to take a look at your research.